Good morning. Happy 40th. We are celebrating our 40th anniversary as an independent nation this year. <clears throat> a nation that was intended and expressly stated by the framers of our Constitution to be established upon not only the law of man, but also upon an abiding respect for the law of God as reflected in the Christian faith. The final sentence of our preamble of the Constitution sums it up well. It says, we hereby provide by these articles for the indivisible unity and creation under God of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. Those are awesome words. Listen again. We hereby provide by these articles for the indivisible unity and creation under God of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas. That's how these majestic objectives were stated by our framers of the Constitution. Now, however, some Bahamians are of another persuasion. They want any reference to Christianity removed from our Constitution. They do not want our Bahama land to be defined as distinctly Christian, but rather as being religious or to use the even more vague term, spiritual, would we even allow for our approval of a faith that would embrace Satanism. I contend, however, <clears throat> that the definitive Christian values statement serves as a standard or norm by which our nation is to be characterized. I emphasize a standard or a norm, a guideline. It is my considered opinion that if this phrase is removed and replaced by such vague terms as religious or spiritual values, it would, from a moral standpoint, open the way for our nation to become a Wild West country, open to any and every form of unrighteousness and ungodly behavior, simply because there's no standard, there's no norm. Now, while we are not a theocracy, a theocracy, of course, is a government that is ruled over directly by God, and we are not a theocracy, neither are we a nation void of a moral compass. And our founders wisely determined that Christianity is our true north, morally speaking. Do you understand? Christianity is the true north in our moral compass as a nation as stated by our uh, uh, founding fathers. I want to be quick to remind you that no matter how many times we place the term Christian or Christianity in our Constitution, however, that would not constitute either you, me, or the Commonwealth as a Christian nation. In other words, simply inserting a phrase into the Constitution does not turn us into Christians. You must understand that as well. Both terms, Christian or Christianity, refer to a way of life, the way we live, not a status or political state or condition. You see, to be Christian, and I say Christian rather than a Christian, because today the, really the phrase a Christian does not mean too much at all. But when you say Christian, you refer to the essence, the ontos, the very nature of a person. To be Christian means to be 
Christ-like. It means to live like Christ. As citizens of the commonwealth, we who are truly Christian, we cannot merely fight for these terms to remain in our constitution and believe that that will make us feel as though we are in fact a Christian nation. We must live like a Christian in order to influence non-Christians to become genuine Christians themselves. In other words, we want to see those who are Bahamian citizens to become citizens of the kingdom of God as well. That's how we will impact our nation and turn it towards righteousness, not simply by inserting a phrase in the Constitution, although I maintain that we should keep it there, but that will not turn us into Christians. We who are true believers are the salt of this nation. We who are true believers are the light of this nation. We must therefore rub our salt of Christ's likeness and shine the light of Christ into our communities wherever we are, if we are to give credence to our constitution at all. And if we are going to influence government, we must do so more by how we live rather than by what we say. And so today, as we celebrate our 40th anniversary as an independent nation, I want to talk to you very briefly about the church, the state, society, and the constitution from both a historical, biblical, and philosophical perspective. I want to make it clear, however, my remarks are actually from a position paper that I was asked to present at the 2000 colloquium when the matter of amending the Constitution was first instituted. That was 2000. In fact, I think it was 1998, looking towards 2000. And of course, that was more to be an academic, philosophical presentation that they wanted us to make, to give some reason why Christianity should still be included in the Constitution. But unfortunately, due to time constraints at that time, I was not able to complete my presentation. Guess what? I'm repeating that again, because I won't have time to do so this morning as well. And so I am sort of placed in a predicament. I'm something like the devil today. Now be careful now, be careful, be careful. The Bible says the devil knows that his time is short. Right? Well, I know that my time is short when it comes to preaching here. And so I had a schedule made out, and my schedule did not include two or three messages on the subject. But now I know I won't be able to do it today, so I'm trying to determine what I should do because my time is short. I hope I won't ask, act in desperation as the devil does, but we will take a look at that. But anyway, because of that, I have prepared a booklet it's called The Church, The State, Society, The Constitution, A Philosophical Perspective. Now, these will be available for those of you who would like to get it after the service, but you'll have to ask for it, please, as you go out. Now, I encourage you to get it if you're interested, because we're going to be looking at a few aspects this morning. The more detailed information concerning the history and the philosophical aspect 
of how a constitution is put together and the impact of scripture upon it, the impact of the word of God upon our laws and so on, would be very informative, very interesting for you. So I encourage you to get the booklet. But as I said, I won't have time to do all of it this morning. I will just give some of the highlights. I began my presentation at that time by pointing out what I called the inherent Christian factor in Bahamian history and reflected in its constitution. That was the first point I was trying to establish when I spoke to the group. The inherent Christian factor in Bahamian history and reflected in its constitution. Here is what I said at that time. And I will quote, this is, a, by the way, this is the height of arrogance and pride, quoting from yourself. All right. This is what I said. From the very beginning of our history, whether technically true or not, Bahamians have considered their homeland to be a Christian nation. Undoubtedly, it was this inherent felt conviction that motivated the framers of our Constitution to emphasize within its preamble that government is to have an abiding respect for Christian values and the rule of law and to recognize the supremacy of God. And that they would, to quote the final sentence of the preamble, hereby provide by these articles for the indivisible unity and creation under God of the commonwealth of the Bahamas. Now let's look at those words. Abiding means to be steadfast, enduring, tenacious, persistent, permanent, and lasting. And to recognize means to admit to, to endorse, and to honor or pay homage to. And so understood in these terms, if such references are removed from our Constitution, as being suggested today by some, it would make the entire original Bahamian Constitution of 1973, in my opinion, a worthless document because it would rip out its very heart. This is so because it is quite evident that the Constitution upon which the Commonwealth of the Bahamas draws its lifeblood was and is the product of a Christian ethos. And that was I was trying to point out, the Christian ethos in which that Constitution was developed. This was a clear acknowledgement by the framers that God stands over and above the nation, and that in the words of Peter Marshall from, Inc., from the uh, UK, he said, the highest role a nation can play is to reflect God's righteousness in a national policy at all times. And I believe that's exactly what the framers of the Constitution was doing, reflecting God's righteousness in a national policy. And I believe, therefore, that Bahamians can well join with another who said, regarding the birth of the United States of America, and I quote, seldom if ever in the history of the world has a nation been born in a more religious atmosphere, end of quote. Now, I would dare to say that the Commonwealth of the Bahamas is an exception to that pronouncement. There is no such thing as a valid history of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas and its culture apart from religion in general and from Christianity in particular. However, I hastily add, while our Constitution rightly assures that the basic religious freedom of both the church and the citizens 
rests in the separation of church and state. It most certainly does not divorce religion, and in particular Christianity, from the state. Clearly, not only does the Constitution of the Commonwealth of the Bahamas recognize God and his transcendent authority, but it also recognizes that the Bahamian citizens have every right to the free exercise of his or her religion without undue interference of the government. You see, that is what separates us from a nation like Islam. Islam, government and religion is one, it's tied into one. They do not give freedom to Christians to exercise the freedom of religion. But in the Bahamas, we give freedom to Islam and anyone else to the right to exercise their religion. Isn't that right? So you see, that is a distinct difference we have to remember. We are not trying to impose our belief or thrust our beliefs down the throat of anyone. We are simply saying that as Bahamians, we have been birthed, this nation, this homeland has been birthed in an atmosphere of Christianity. Now, I therefore said, any future reform, reframers or reformers of our constitution must always bear in mind the vital historical role the church has played in the framing of both the English and American constitutions, which of course have also greatly influenced ours. Legal scholars, historians, politicians, and clergymen are consistent in their conclusion that the political and legal institutions of the U.S. had a religious base and that colonial government as well as the present constitutional system of both England and the U.S. were modeled after church government, church polities. Do you get that? Let me read it again. I want you to understand this. The legal institutions of the U.S. had a religious base and that colonial government as well as the present constitutional system of both England and the U.S. were modeled after church polities, church government. For instance, Camp Morton said this, the presbyteries and synods of pre-revolutionary times exhibited a patent for a union and central organization without any loss of fundamental rights. It was from this church structure that the formula coordinating the large and the small states into one union came about. Listen to this now. The College of Cardinals of the Roman Catholic Church formed the patent for the Electoral College for electing the President and Vice President of the United States of America. It was based on the government of a church. I say again, therefore, to remove any reference to Christianity from the Constitution and the Commonwealth of the Bahamas would be not only to rip out its historical constitutional roots, but also to rip out its very heart, because it is unquestionably the product of a Christian ethos, a Christian ethos, I believe, that still exists today. And I believe that a recent quote from Dr. Albert Mola, he's the leading theologian, a Baptist leader in the United States. He made a tremendous statement the other evening in connection with the American Constitution, because as you know, they just celebrated their anniversary last week. He made this statement, of course, in reference to the United States. I'm going to read it twice, this statement. 
I'm going to read it as it's originally given in reference to the United States. Then I'm going to adapt it for the Bahamas because I believe that they are very similar, they're parallel. He made, as I said, his comment in response to the attempts in the U.S. to change the Constitution to re redefine marriage. That's going on. It's going on here as well. They wanted to change the Constitution to redefine marriage so as to include same-sex marriage as a basic human right. He strongly argues against such a change, pointing out what I define as a Christian ethos of the United States of America, that the framers of the American Constitution reflected in the writing of that document. I see a strong parallel with the framers of our Constitution as well. Listen then to Dr. Mola. This is what he said, and I quote, Beyond any historical doubt, the United States was established by founders whose world view was shaped in most, in most, in most cases quite self-consciously by the Christian faith. The founding principles of this nation flow from a biblical knowledge, I'm sorry, flow from a biblical logic and have been sustained by the fact that most Christians have considered themselves to be Christian and have operated out of a basically Christian frame of moral reference. America is a nation whose citizens are overwhelmingly identified as Christians, and the American experiment is inconceivable without the foundation established by Christian moral assumptions. And let me read that again, but this time I will assert the Bahamas for the United States, because this is what I describe as a Christian ethos. Beyond any historical doubt, the Commonwealth of the Bahamas was established by founders whose world view was shaped, whether they realize it or not, in most cases quite self-consciously by the Christian faith. The founding principles of this nation flow from a biblical logic and have been sustained by the fact that most Bahamians considered themselves to be Christians and have operated out of a basically Christian frame of moral reference. The Commonwealth of the Bahamas is a nation, then, whose citizens are overwhelmingly identified as Christians, and the Bahamian experiment is inconceivable without the foundation established by Christian moral assumptions. End of quote. Do you see my point? This is what I mean by a Christian ethos. I contend that the ethos in the Bahamas still exists, in spite of it being challenged at this time. And so I say that to remove any reference to the Christian faith from our Constitution will be a mark of both a moral and spiritual retrogression that will cause us to be characterized by moral decay rather than being exalted by righteousness as exhibited in our Christian faith. That was my first point. My second point made at this meeting was that we as Bahamian citizens who are Christians have a fundamental right and responsibility to affect change within our nation. This is in response to those who say Christians should not say anything that will try to impose their beliefs upon government or Bahamian citizens. Friends, listen carefully. Being Christian does not negate our responsibility as citizens to impact government with our views. In fact, it actually enhances our responsibility. Why? 
because our Savior, our Master, our Lord tells us that we are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, when I dealt with this, I tried to explain from a biblical perspective the relationship between the church and the state. Because that's very important. Now, that this is a point that became a little technical because we had to look at the law, we had to look at history, and so on. But I shared four major views of the church as reflected in history concerning the relationship of the church to the state. Now, as I mentioned, time allows for me simply to state these views. They are explained in detail in the booklet that is available after the service. Now, to those of you who may watch this over the uh, Internet, you can stop by the church or write us and we'll send you a copy. Here are the four historic views of the relationship that I explained between the church and the state in order to prove my point that we as Christians have an obligation to impact government with our views as believers. First view that we looked at was the church, the idea that the church has power over the state. Using Matthew 16, 19 as their basis, some in the past have concluded that the church is in control of the state. Speaking to Peter in the presence of the apostles, Jesus declared, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Some believe that Emperor Constantine gave much of the Roman Empire over to the Church of Rome, acting upon this concept that both political and spiritual powers rested in the church. Now, of course, I deny this completely, but that's one view that was forced upon. This view, which was originally proposed by Augustine, holds that God empowered the church to rule over both the Christian and non-Christian citizens as well as the state. You can see the diagram there. To which the Christian must also be subject. Now, in actuality, this comes pretty close to the church as state being one with the church being greater in power. And of course, that exists for some years in Christian history. Now, of course, I reject this view altogether. The second view held by the church for a period was that the church is of God and the state is of the devil. You still hear that today. They see the state as a part of the devil's world system, and therefore, Christians must totally separate themselves from any involvement in it. They cannot vote, they cannot hold political office, or even go to war. They are not to obey the state generally, but the state, they are to obey the state generally, but the state has no final authority over them, even as the church has no authority over unbelievers, they would say. Why? Because they are part of the devil's kingdom. God has rule over the church. The church has direction over believers. The state is ruled over by Satan, they say. Satan rules the state, and the state rules over unbelievers. On one side, God rules over the church, which in turn rules over the believer. On the other side, totally apart from this spiritual kingdom, was Satan. He rules over the state, which in turn rules over the kingdom of unbelievers. There's a total separation between the two kingdoms. Many who hold to this view also refrain from any involvement in anything that has to do with government or politics. They do not vote. They do not pledge allegiance to the flag. They do not join the police force or the defense force. 
and they probably will not are part of any debate talking about the relationship between the church and the state. That's the second view. Now, as I said, some people still hold that view. Third view was that the church and the state are ordained of God, but the church can use the state to accomplish its purpose. That's the point. The church can use the state to accomplish its purpose. However, they would say the state's authority is limited to that which God has given it. If it acts beyond that limitation, the believer is to resist and oppose the state. The church is to transform the world. Notice that. The church is to transform the world. This is really a theological belief today that we can bring the kingdom in by transforming society. The church transforms society. And what the best way of doing that is by influencing and impacting, if not controlling government. They must transform the world, including the state, according to biblical and Christian principles. In other words, the church is to Christianize the world, including government, thus bringing the kingdom of the world into conformity with the kingdom of heaven. The state, in fact, they would say, is to help to bring this about. John Calvin attempted to put this concept into practice in Geneva, Switzerland, where he served for time both as political and church leader. You see the diagram there. They say that God gives authority directly to the church and the state, but as different entities. However, while the church can use the state to carry out responsibility, the state cannot use the church to carry out its purpose. That was the third view. The fourth view was that the church and the state are ordained by God but with distinct sphere of responsibilities. Now, Martin Luther, uh, who is recognized as the leader of the Protestant Reformation, is the one who really championed this. Now, although this is very similar to the view of John Calvin, Luther differed from him in that he did not believe that the church had the authority to impose upon the, believer, the unbeliever or the state or that the church should use the state to help Christianize believers. He didn't think that we as a church should try to force the government to do anything. Why? Because it's an unbeliever, it's part of the devil's world. The same way we would say that we cannot demand that a believer live, I'm sorry, that an unbeliever live like a believer. You cannot demand a non-Christian to live like a, non like a Christian. Because if we really believe that a Christian is one who comes about through regeneration, then if an unbeliever can do what a regenerated believer can do, why is regeneration necessary? All right? <clears throat> now, my view, my personal view, is a combination of Luther and who's the other guy? Calvin. My personal view is a modification of these views. While I agree wholeheartedly with Luther that Christians cannot impose Christian beliefs upon the non-Christian, I would not draw a sharp a distinction between faith and reason as he did. In my opinion, one need to contradict the other. Christians should not be hesitant to appeal to biblical authority in calling for political or governmental change. In other words, if we believe that the government is doing something that is clearly contrary to the word of God. We should be 
<clears throat> we should not be hesitant to point that out to government and to demand that they change. Not necessarily to demand as a Christian, but to demand it as a Christian Bahamian citizen. You understand what I'm saying? That's the difference. <clears throat> and so although we cannot demand that government assist the church in evangelizing the unbeliever, we can demand that it provide the same protection and security it provides for other institutions and for other citizens, such as free, pre free speech and the right to assemble for Christian and church-related purposes. We have a right and a responsibility and an obligation to fight for those things just like any other person would fight for a freedom of a speech, a freedom to gather, and so on. By the way, Bahamian citizens, don't think that those things will never happen, that, that uh, you would not come to a place where you cannot meet in your home to worship, for instance. That's happening in the United States right now. People have been put in jail and fined for having Bible classes in their homes in the United States of America. You say it can't happen here? That's what they said, you see. That's why we, as the salt of the earth and the light of the, of the world, must let's rub it in and let the light shine. Now, I'm going to stop here because uh, we're coming to the tackling point as the relationship between the state and the government. I try to bring out here that we need some sort of a Christian influence in making law simply because man has a depraved nature. You see, man has a depraved nature. And if we do not recognize that the government are human just like anyone else, those who run the government, they need a check on what they do. And we, our position is that it's the Christian, it's the biblical position that gives that check. Now, it's explained in quite detail in the book that I encourage you to get it. Without that input, without that moral check coming from a Christian ethos, a Christian foundation, we would not have the kind of moral government that we should have. There would be no real proper check and balances. I see Christian faith as a balance, as a check to men who have a depraved nature from oppressing the people that God has given them the uh opportunity to lead and to govern. So, my point is this, as far as this particular session is concerned, you as a Bahamian citizen, especially a Christian Bahamian citizen, need to be involved in this <clears throat> idea of what's going to be changed or not changed in the Bahamian constitution. Attend the meetings if there's any more of them. Do whatever you have to do to voice your opinion as a Christian. Make it clear, let them understand that as a Christian Bahamian, you believe that the phrase <clears throat> reflecting and maintaining the idea of Christian values should remain in the Bahamian constitution. Fight for it. It's not only your right as a citizen, it is your obligation as a Christian. Sila, think. Think, I say, and act on these things.